My name is Adam. I'm part of the team here, and it's great to be together this morning. Today, we are looking at the third beatitude, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I imagine when most of us hear Jesus say this, we think to ourselves, really? The meek, they're the ones that are going to inherit everything. Let's be honest, in our day, in our culture, we don't really value meekness. We don't really aspire to be meek. If you were to ask someone on the street or a colleague at work or your neighbor at home, how do you want to grow this year? What area of your life would you like to work on? I don't think anyone would say, well, I'd like to grow in meekness. I'd just like to become meeker. Or if you were to ask parents, what do you want for your kids? I think they would say, well, I want them to be happy. I want them to be confident. I want them to be resilient. I'm not sure any parent would say, well, I want my child to be meek. I want them to grow in meekness. Unless, of course, you've got a really strong-willed child and then you might be praying for meekness every day. What about at work? Whether you work in an office or on a job site or in a shop or at a factory, what gets you ahead at work? What gets you the promotion? What gets you the big contracts? Is it being meek? Being humble? Being gentle? Or is it the assertive, the ruthless, the outspoken? What about in a job interview? When you're asked, what is your greatest strength? Has anyone ever replied, I'm just really meek? Truth is, we don't value meekness because meekness doesn't seem to get us ahead. Doesn't seem to get us the job or the, the boy or the girl or doesn't seem to move us up the ladder. In fact, it seems to do the opposite. It seems to leave us behind. It, it seems to mean that we miss out. In fact, it's a, a little bit like the scene from Monty Python's Life of Brian. Some are giggling. Jesus is delivering the Beatitudes and there's this group of people towards the back of the crowd and when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, they can't quite hear him so they think he says, blessed are the Greek and they're a little bit confused by it until eventually a lady cries out, oh, it's the meek, blessed are the meek. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm glad they're getting something because they have a hell of a time. Now that's kind of what we assume, isn't it? That the meek have a hell of a time. The meek are pushed around and left behind and this is why we don't value meekness. And yet, Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter five something very, very different. Jesus says the way to true blessing, it's the way of meekness. Jesus says the meek will not be left out or left behind. They will actually gain everything. And the question is, why would Jesus say this? How could Jesus say this if everything around us seems to suggest the opposite? 
Is Jesus wrong? Is Jesus mistaken? This is the the question that we're going to dig into a little bit today. We're in a sermon series at the moment, working our way through the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are a series of eight sayings where Jesus describes life in God's kingdom, where Jesus describes the truly happy person, the truly blessed person. He describes the truly beautiful life. Now, Jesus' list so far has been a little bit surprising, hasn't it? Jesus got up and he began. The very first thing he said was, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty, who come before God with empty hands. They are the ones who actually have their hands full because they are the ones who enter the kingdom of God. Then last week, the second thing Jesus said was, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the sad. Now, he's not talking about mourning generally. He's talking about those who mourn their their sin. He's talking about those who are brokenhearted over their brokenness. They are the ones who will ultimately be comforted. Today, Jesus says in the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, notice how this third beatitude kind of logically flows on from the first two. The beatitudes are not random. Jesus just didn't kind of grab them out of thin air. There is a logical progression to them. You see, when you recognize your spiritual poverty, your your brokenness, your neediness, your powerlessness, it naturally leads you to mourn over your condition, to grieve over your sinfulness and brokenness before God, which naturally leads you to be humble before God. It leads you to be lowly and selfless. It leads you to be meek. And Jesus says, this is not a bad thing. This is actually the way to receive everything. And so it's really important that we ask ask ourselves, well, what is meekness? What does it actually mean? What does it look like? And where does it lead? Am I silly to put my trust in Jesus' words here? Is this gonna lead me down a a bad path? These are the questions that we're gonna look at this morning. And so let's begin with question number one. What is meekness? What is meekness? Well, the very first thing I think we need to be clear on is that meekness is not a synonym for weakness. You may have heard the the saying, I think it's got to do with uh, men's mental health, it ain't weak to speak. Well, we could say the same thing about meekness. It ain't weak to be meek. To be meek does not mean to be a doormat. It does not mean to be a pushover. It does not mean to have no strength, no courage, no convictions. It does not mean, as I read this week, to be someone that can be knocked over by a hard slap from a wet noodle. That's not what it means to be weak. Now, how do we know this to be true? Well, only two people in the Bible are explicitly described as meek. Only two people have this particular word applied to them. The first is Moses, the great Old Testament leader of God's people, the one who led the exodus of God's people out of Egypt, the one who led them through the wilderness, the one who gave them the Ten Commandments, the one who destroyed the golden calf. We read about this Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek, 
more than all people who are on the face of the earth. Moses, the leader of God's people, is very meek. Of course, the other person described as meek is Jesus. In fact, the only place in the Bible where Jesus describes his very heart, where Jesus kind of pulls back the veil to to reveal to us the very core of who he is. This is what he says, Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, this is Jesus self-defining, self-describing himself, for I am gentle or meek. It's exactly the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter five. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus defines himself as meek. Now, no one would accuse Jesus of being spineless. No one would accuse Jesus of being weak, of having no courage, no convictions, no strength. The truth is Jesus is the strongest, most powerful person to have ever walked the earth. And when he describes his very heart, he says, I am gentle and lowly. I am meek. So obviously, meekness is not weakness. The question though is, well, what is it? What does it mean to be meek? Well, the Greek word translated as meek here in Matthew 5 is praus, praus. Not prost, we're not having a a drink with a German, praus. Now, I probably butchered that pronunciation. Now, this word, praus, was used in ancient Greek culture to describe a wild horse, a, a, a brumby, a stallion that had been tamed. A horse that had come under the control of a master. Now, what's the difference between a wild horse and a tame horse? It's not their strength. They're both equally as strong. It's what they do with their strength. See, a wild horse is strong, but totally out of control. A wild horse is driven only by its own will and its own passions and its own desires. Now, a tame horse or a meek horse, it has exactly the same strength as a wild horse, but it is strength under control. It's still strength, but it's submitted strength. It's surrendered strength. It's strength under the control of a master. It's strength under the guidance of a master. It's strength under the reins of its master. And this is a great picture of meekness. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is submission to a master. Now, who's control? Who's the master? Well, of course, the answer is God. See, meekness is allowing God to guide us. It's allowing God to be our master. And again, notice the the logical progression of this. When we recognize our spiritual poverty, when we see our true condition before God, It leads us to mourn over our true condition, our sinfulness, our brokenness. And it leads us to say to God, God, I can't do it on my own. I've tried it my own way and it hasn't led anywhere good. I wanna come under your control. I need you to lead me, guide me, fill me, change me. This is essentially describing the process of becoming a Christian. 
recognizing who we are before God and then putting our trust in him. This is the beginning of meekness. It's saying to God what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. That's the beginning of meekness. It's allowing the grace of God to tame us, to, to, to bring us under control, as it were, and to lead us into green pastures. And another way to put it is this. Meekness is getting me out of the way. Meekness is getting me out of the center. Meekness is putting God in his rightful place in my life. Now, here's the thing. We don't naturally like this. Frank Sinatra very famously saying, I did it my way. That's the natural impulse of the human heart. It's what Martin Luther called the inward curve of the human heart. It's our innate self-centeredness. It's our chronic self-obsession. It's like the Groucho Marx skit where he's going on and on about himself and he eventually stops and says, oh, I'm so sorry, how insensitive of me. I've been going on and on about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? That's what we're like. And God wants to set us free from the prison of self-centeredness, self-obsession, and self-absorption. God wants to give us the freedom of meekness, the freedom of finding our rightful place in the universe, not with us at the center of everything, but with God at the center, handing over control of our lives to God. And the question is, have you done that? Have you handed over the reins of your life? Have you come under the control of God's good and gracious rule? Well, how do you know? How do you know if you've done that? That leads us to our second question, and that is, what does meekness look like? What does a life in submission to God look like in practice? What is meekness like on the ground in our day-to-day lives? Well, there is perhaps no better place in the Bible to to see what meekness looks like than Psalm 37. In fact, it's very likely that when Jesus gives this third beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, it's very likely that he's quoting from Psalm 37. This is what we read, Psalm 37 verse 11. But the meek will inherit the land. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? See, Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 37 to give us this beatitude. And so it's important for us to have a look at this psalm because it gives us a picture of meekness. It tells us what the meek person does and doesn't do. It's a picture of meekness. So what do we learn in this psalm? Well, the first thing we see is that the meek person does not fret about all the wrong and evil in the world. Look at verse one. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Now, literally, do not fret means do not get heated. Don't get hot under the collar. Don't get worked up. Now, how many of us get heated and hot under the collar about all the wrong that everyone else is doing, about all the evil that's happening in our world? Now, of course, do not fret does not mean do not care. We're not just to throw our hands up in the air and do nothing. But this psalm is is saying to us, don't become obsessed with, fixated on, consumed by the wrong that everyone else is doing. 
the evil that's happening out there. I might put it this way. If you're only ever posting on social media, if you're only ever talking with friends, if you're only ever sending emails about all the wrong things out there, about all the evil people in the world, it might be a sign that you're fretting. And God's word says to us today, it says the meek do not fret because of those who are evil. Instead, it goes on to say in verse three, they trust in God and do good. At the end of the day, they recognize this is God's world. I'm gonna trust God to deal with evil. I'm gonna know that God will set things right in the end. And so I'm gonna get on with the good that God has given me to do. The first thing is the meek do not fret. The second is the meek also delight themselves in God. Look at verse four, take delight in the Lord. Now, I like the way uh, Derek Kidner puts it in his commentary. He says, an obsession with enemies and rivals cannot be simply switched off, but it can be ousted by a new focus of attention. In other words, the meek don't focus on how bad the world is and how wrong everything else is. They instead focus on how good God is. Another way to put it, the meek don't dwell on what they don't have compared to everyone else. The meek focus on all that they do have in Christ. Now, let's be honest. I know this is very easy for a preacher to say in church on a Sunday and a whole lot harder for us to live out in our day-to-day lives. In fact, I've told you that in January, my family and I got away for a couple of weeks. We um, went to a caravan park on the Sunshine Coast. We took our little pop-top caravan. Um, You know, it's not the the biggest or the newest in the world, but it does the job and we're grateful for it. But I've got to admit, as I was walking around the caravan park when we were away, it seemed that there were a lot of families with young children that had these massive, brand-new caravans. And these caravans had all the bells and whistles, laundries, toilets, LED lights, coffee machines. I mean, you name it. And it seemed that parked next to all these caravans was a Land Cruiser. And I've got to admit, when I looked at this, I thought to myself, now that would be good. A van like that would make everything better. It would make everything easier. You know, no trips to the toilet block 50 times a day with the kids. Now, what's my heart doing in that moment? It's forgetting that true and lasting joy is not found in a fancy caravan. It's found in God. The God who gives us the desires of our hearts, as verse four goes on to say. And this is what the meek person recognizes. They find their delight in God. The meek person also commit themselves to God. Verse five. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Now, the word commit literally means to roll on. It it means to roll yourself onto God, to put all your weight onto him. I like the way Stuart Briscoe explains it. He says, the meek roll their lives, their cares, their reputations onto the Lord and let the Lord worry about it all. The meek are those who, when offended, commit their wounded egos and the one offending their ego to the perfect judge. The meek can say to herself, what she did to me was wrong, but she is answerable to God, so I'll let God deal with her. 
but I am answerable to God too. So I'm going to concentrate on doing right by her. The meek don't take matters into their own hands. The meek roll their their lives, their strength, their very selves onto God. And this is actually related to what David says a little bit later in the psalm. And this is really the heart of meekness. See, the meek also do good in the face of evil. Verse 27, it says, turn from evil and do good. This is the heart of meekness. The meek do not respond to evil with evil. The meek do not respond to injustice with injustice. When someone insults you, you display meekness by not insulting them back. When someone hates you, you show meekness by responding to them with kindness. Perhaps even when someone hits you, you show meekness by not hitting them back. And this is true strength and real power. Is it easy? Not at all. But with the example of Jesus and the presence of God's spirit, it's increasingly possible and it's undeniably compelling. You know, I've never forgotten a story I once heard about Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley is a preacher in the United States um, and his son's name is Andy Stanley, who's also a a well-known preacher. Now, Andy tells the story about when he was in year eight and his father, Charles, was caught up in some nasty church politics. There was a struggle over whether uh, Charles would become the pastor of this church or not. And one night, during a particularly tense church meeting, now, I've been to some church meetings, but thankfully, never one like this one. Because at this church meeting, it got so heated, it got so worked up, that a church member actually stood up and punched Charles Stanley in the face. Now, that's a memorable church meeting. Now, Andy was watching this as a 13-year-old boy. He's in year eight. And he says that his father did not flinch and did not retaliate. And Charles eventually became the pastor of this church. Now I ask you, is that weakness? Is that cowardice? Not at all. I think that's real strength. Now I'm sure Charles had the strength to, to hit him back, but it was strength under control. He refused to respond to evil with evil. You might still wonder, is this really even possible? I mean, this just sounds like a bit of a pipe dream. I think we need to look at the example of Jesus himself. I mean, isn't this what Jesus did during his life and especially during his trial? I mean, Jesus was lied about, spat on, hit and beaten and flogged. He was mocked and insulted. He had a crown of thorns shoved onto his head. And yet, he refused to retaliate. Was it because Jesus was weak? Matthew 26 says that he could have called on legions of angels to fight for him. He was the truly strong one. And he was silent before his accusers. He did not hit back or fight back. Why? Because Jesus, the truly meek one, was dying for proud people like you and me. 
Why? So that we can become meek like him. Jesus entrusted himself to God. 1 Peter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, how could Jesus respond this way? How how could he respond to such suffering, such injustice with such strength? Well, the answer, at least partly, is because Jesus knows the end of the story. He knows where meekness ultimately leads. And this brings us to our third and final question. Where does meekness lead? Look at what Jesus says in the second half of the Beatitude. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They will not ultimately be left out, pushed around, miss out. They will ultimately receive everything. You know, I've recently been reading uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with my, uh, my little boy, Knox. Now, it struck me as I was reading the last chapter the other night, how Charlie's story is kind of like a parable of this beatitude. I'm sure you know, you know the story. If you haven't read the book, I'm sure you've seen the movie. Charlie, he wins the, gets the tickets, able to, enables him to go for a tour of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory along with four other children. Now, Charlie is desperately poor, has nothing. And compared to these other four children, Charlie is, is humble and he's meek. The other four children, they snatch at everything they want. They see it and they want it and so they take it. Charlie trusts the word of Willy Wonka. And in the end, these four children who snatched and grabbed at everything that they wanted, they miss out. And Charlie receives everything. He inherits the whole chocolate factory. And this is kind of what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying the meek, those who trust God, those who submit themselves to God, those who don't grab and snatch and retaliate, those who don't step on others to get ahead, those who don't manipulate others to serve their own ends, those who trust God, even in the face of evil, they will ultimately receive everything. And of course, Jesus is talking about that day in the future when he returns and he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth and we will be with him forever on that glorious day. And yet, isn't it also true that the meek inherit the world right now? I mean, who are the people that really enjoy the earth? Those who grab and push and demand? I don't think so. I think they're too busy grabbing and pushing and demanding. Whereas those who trust God, submit themselves to God, they're free to smell the roses along the way. They're free to enjoy the gifts that God gives. They're free to do the good that God calls them to do because they know deep down no matter what they have or don't have no matter what happens to them or doesn't happen to them they will not ultimately miss out they will not ultimately be left behind and when you know this to be true for you it makes you invincible makes you humble before God makes you gentle with other people It makes you able to bear insults, willing to do good, and even willing to die. Just like Ignatius, the the bishop of Antioch from the first century, he was on his way to Rome to be put to death for his faith in Jesus. 
He was actually thrown to the lions when he arrived in Rome. Now on the way there, he took some time to write about meekness and humility and about non-retaliation in the face of evil. This is what he said. He said, in response to their anger, be gentle. In response to their boasts, be humble. In response to their slander, offer prayers. In response to their errors, be steadfast in the faith. In response to their cruelty, be civilized. Do not be eager to imitate them. Let us show by our forbearance that we are their brothers and sisters. And let us be eager to be imitators of the Lord. That's meekness. Now, is that weakness? Not a chance. It's true strength, and it leads to true blessing and true happiness. So let's walk the way of meekness together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus, the truly meek one who died on the cross for proud people like us, the one who, when insulted, did not insult back, the one who, when struck, did not strike back, the one who willingly died on the cross in our place for our lack of meekness. And Lord, as we now behold his example, as we are empowered by your spirit, we ask that you would help us to be the people that you're calling us to be, people who walk in the way of meekness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.